Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. We've been working our way through the book of James for the last five, six weeks. James is one of those practical theology books. He gives us practical things to do. And you can come to church and you can worship the Lord and we're going to celebrate people's lives, but there's nothing any more important than getting the Word of God into our lives because it's the Word of God that transforms us. Through the power of the Holy Spirit speaking to you through God's Word, He transforms your life into something that it wasn't before you hear His Word. And if we were to do like James tells us, if we would be doers of the Word, not just hearers of the Word, it will transform our lives incredibly. James' theme, his whole idea is found in chapter 1, verse 4, when he says, and I pray, and, and I'm, my aim is that there are some, some things that I want you to do so that you can mature, that you can be complete, and then you can lack nothing. How many of you would love to live a life that was lacking in nothing? Absolutely. But how many of you also know that you live in reality and your life still has some lack. There are things that I lack in my life. I'm, you know, I don't pray for it anymore because I got wise. But there's things like patience, perseverance, self-control, like how to control your mouth. Don't be hitting anybody now. Things like faith, growing in faith, growing in prayer, growing in understanding God's Word. Those are some things that all of us may lack at one time or another. And James says that it's my goal for you to grow, to mature, and to lack nothing. And that is the goal of the Christian life, is for us to become so complete and so mature that when we stand before the Lord, He has brought us from immaturity and incompleteness and lacking everything to lacking nothing as we finally enter His presence. So we're always trying to, to come up with that. And today what we're going to look at something is we're going to look at something that we have all lacked at one point in time in our life. And that is direction or a plan or knowing what's next in your life. How many of you have already planned out your entire life. You know what's gonna, you know what you're doing. You've got it all planned out. You've made those plans. You know, we start early doing that. When you're just a kid, what did your grandma ask you? Son, what are you going to do when you grow up, right? And we start trying to think about what we're going to do, what we're going to be. I want to be a fireman. I want to be a police officer. I want to be an astronaut. I want to be this. I'm going to be that. And then when you start school, you look around at all the kids around you and you realize how different you are from the other kids. And you say, hey, this kid's good at this. This kid's good at that. You know, this kid's athletic. This kid's super smart. This kid likes music. This kid can't carry a tune. I mean, and you start figuring out, hey, maybe there's some things in my life that I might be better at if I started wanting to say, hey, look, let's make a plan for my life. And then you get into high school, right? And when you get into high school, as you, as you get into high school, the pressure kind of ratchets up because you know, hey, now you've got to start figuring some things out. You've got to decide, hey, what am I going to do with my life? Where am I going to go? Am I going to, you know, how, how am I going to make a living? And you really make, you got four choices when you're in high school. You're either going to join the military, you're going to join the workforce, you're going to go to college, or you're going to go to jail. It's really usually that simple. It's those four, four options when it comes to high school. And so you try to figure out what life's going to be. And then you go to college. If you end up going to college and you, and you go and the, now you're trying to not just decide what you're wanting to be, but you're trying to decide what major you're going to have. 
and uh, you know you, you try to pick a major. And can I just can I just uh, give you a little spoiler alert? Probably the thing that you do in life will have nothing to do with the major that you majored in college. I mean, it just turns out that way. I was recently talking to some college kids from UNT, and I was talking and said, "Hey, what's your major? What do you, what are you planning on doing?" And they told me their major, and I was like, "You know what? That's great." Because that's going to probably give you preferential treatment to get be first in the line of the unemployment office. Because a degree in in mid century, uh, you know, deco art probably is not in high demand. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it is, but people just you know trying to figure out like, well, I like to do that. But as far as plans go, that usually doesn't happen. Or you and then you enter the workforce. You work your way up the ladder, or you try to figure out what's next and what level you need to try to achieve, and you're trying to just plan all the out and then you maybe you start a family and you decide to get married. Can I just tell you when you decide to get married, you can take all of your plans that you've ever had and you can throw them right out the window. Because now what you've got is you've got two different people with two different plans of what their life is going to be and you've got to bring them all together into one plan. So chunk yours and make all make it all one. And so you, you, you get married and you try to say, hey, are we going to buy this house? Are we going to live here? Are we going to work here? You know, what are we going to do? And then you decide to have kids. This will be the second time in your life where you will take all of your plans and you will throw them right out the window. Because your kids will wreck your plans. That's just the way life works. And God laughs at us. And I love that he does that because he just looks at us and he's like, you know, you silly, silly people. I'm going to give you these little three-foot-tall urges, and they're going to just make your life totally planned out for you. You just don't even realize. And we try to we plan our lives, and our kids begin to dictate kind of where we live, where we go, what the what school. And we we try to make our plans, and and you know we we plan around our babies, you know. But plans change as they get older, and we we have to just understand that. And then you get into midlife, and you start trying to figure out. How am I going to get these kids to college? How am I going to travel the country and see the, see the sights? How am I going to pay for this mortgage? Where am I going to spend the holidays? And then you get into your, into your 50s and 60s and even into your 70s and you say, well, how am I going to have enough money to retire? And all through the stages of life, what you're doing is you're making plans. You're trying to decide what's next. What's the next step? The whole of your life moves from one plan to the next to the next. And that's what you do your whole life is preparing and getting ready for what I'm going to do next. What's going to happen next? One of the things that really happens is one of two things in people's lives. You've got those people who go to the extreme in making plans in their life. They've got plan A, they've got plan B, plan C, plan D. They've got plans for plans and plans about their plans. You've got these extreme people, they plan, and you know what? They're great. They're great. Those plans are great, and I encourage you, that's great. But you will one day realize that all of the plans you make never seem to turn out exactly the way that you planned them. Can I, can, can I get an amen on that? Right? Nothing ever seems to work out exactly how you like, you know, when you planned out this life in college or when you planned, when you, you and your love first got married, it just hasn't all worked out that way. Or you got the other side of the coin, which is these are the people, they don't make plans. 
They're just free spirits. They live by the, by the, you know, the seat of their pants. That's right. You can say it that way. But here's what they know. They are going to stick to the plan to make no plan no matter what. And that's just what they do. Not doing anything. I'm just going to let it happen. Let, let life come. So the question this morning as we look in James chapter 4 is what does God think about all this planning in our life? What does God think about the plans maybe that he has for your life? And the book of James doesn't just tell us how God feels our present life, but tells us how we can help him, he can help us plan for the future. I want you to look at verse 13 of James chapter 4. I'll give you some principles through this, just a few verses. I'm not going to preach long, but I hope it just sticks. James 4.13 says this, Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city. We will spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. You know, one of the principles that James gives us right here in verse 13 is that life is uncertain. And if you're taking notes, that's the first blank. And most of you probably fill that in before I even said it because you know that life is definitely uncertain. Life is anything but predictable. And I like to compare life to getting on an airplane and taking an airplane ride. If you've ever been on the airplane, you get on and you take your seat, you get all of your luggage up there. You know, I've talked about that place, you know, where the, the next place closest to hell is the middle seat, you know, and that's, that's just a terrible place to be in life. But once you get on the airplane and you sit down and everybody's in, the doors are closed, you get out to the runway where they're taxiing and they're ready to, to, to take off and start the, start the trip, a little ding goes, it goes, and you'll look up, and right above you, there is what? There's a light, and the light is a light of a seatbelt, right? And the pilot comes on. He said, Pastors, I just want you to know that we have turned the seatbelt light on. If you would please buckle up your seatbelts. Stay your trays in the appropriate position. And your seat back's in the upright position. We will be taking off shortly. Thank you very much. And that's what happens. When the seatbelt light comes on, you sit there, and for some of you, you pray. The seatbelt light comes on. Now, here's the thing. In flying an airplane, there are three times when a seatbelt light comes on. When you're taking off, when you're landing, and also, I heard you say it, during turbulence. Now, we know what to expect in taking off, right? We know, hey, look, we're going to get off the ground. I understand. I need my seatbelt on. Because if he gets halfway down the runway before the full stop, he can shut her down. And I don't want to be like in the lady's hair behind me, you know, or in front of me. So he shut. Landing, totally get that. I know what to expect. You know, I mean, what if he has to slam it down or the wind's blowing across, he has to slam it down. I want to be sitting in my seat, not laying across, you know, all three seats. But in the turbulence... All three of those are times of transition. And when we get to turbulence, turbulence is not something that you can predict. It's uncertain. You don't know what could happen. So you feel a little bump in the past, and the, and the pilot comes on. Uh, we're experiencing a little bit of turbulence. If you would return to your seats and you would put your seatbelt back on, 
the seatbelt light is now on. Now, how many of you know that in those uncertain times, that's when the seatbelt light, in our life, there are uncertain moments that the seatbelt light comes on. And I can just tell you right now, in our world today, I don't know who has done it, but somebody has turned the seatbelt light on. Look around. Our world is filled with incredible uncertainty. We've got uncertainty about the economy. We've got the uncertainty about, about the political whatever in our country. We've got the uncertainty about geopolitics and war around the world. We've got uncertainty in Israel. And for Bible-believing folks, man, that's enough to put your seatbelt on, right? We've got uncertainty everywhere. We've got uncertainty in our families. We've got uncertainty in our own lives. We've got uncertainty about our careers. We've got uncertainty in the housing market. We've got uncertainty about our jobs. We've got uncertainty everywhere. And the seatbelt light has been put on. Sit down, buckle up, and hold on. James says this. He says, look, life is incredibly uncertain. We make these plans. We're going to do this. We're going to go there. We're going to have our normal lives is what he says. And those are statements that we all make. We're constantly saying things like, we're going to make our plans. We're going to do this. We're going to go over there. We're going to make these things. And and let me just tell you something. Never, never will it all come according to plan. But here's what I want you to understand is that God doesn't have a problem with planning. God has a problem with presumption. It's not planning. He doesn't mind if you plan for your 401k. He doesn't mind for you planning to try to get your kids to school. He doesn't mind for, for you trying to plan out your career or where you want to work or where you want to live. God has a problem with presumption. That's why you should always make your plans in pencil. Always make your plans in, in pencil. I'm about to have a birthday. I'm not telling you how old I am. Some of you think you know. I'm not telling you. Let me tell you something. As I got into this decade of my life, I looked at my life and I thought, you know, I thought I'd be a whole lot further down the road than I am. Anybody ever had that far? Man, I thought I'd have a whole lot more of this and a whole lot less of that at this point in my life. But life is uncertain. There's nothing guaranteed in life except that God is still going to be in the middle of it every day. You see, you can hold on to your plans, but just remember that God is the one who holds on to your future. In the book of Proverbs He gives us a lot of encouragement about those who make plans. And he also warns against those who become very presumptive. In in Proverbs 19, 21, one of my life scriptures, Shannon and I, we know this verse. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's, say it with me, purpose that prevails. You can make all the plans you want, but God's purpose is what's going to be accomplished in your life. Like it or not, God's going to have his way. Proverbs 27.1 says, Don't boast about tomorrow, for you don't even know what the day may bring. You see, the best plan that you can make in your life is to invite Jesus to be the foundation of your life. Because the thing about Jesus is He is a sure foundation. 
He's certain. You can stand upon what his word says and it will never fail. How would you love to have something in your life that never changes? He's the one who never changes. Your looks have changed since you were 20 years old. Some for the better. Your weight has changed since you were 20. I better move on on that one. Where was I? There's a lot of changes, but one thing that doesn't change, God does not change. He is stable. He can be stable. You can have stability in your life. Even when the fastened seatbelt sign is shining bright and you've got the seatbelt buckled up, God can still say, hey, look, I've got everything under control. Let me read this passage in Matthew chapter 7. It says, therefore, Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. Can I just tell you, we need to live by the words of that old song, On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. He is a sure foundation in our life. You don't know what storm is brewing out there tomorrow. You know, it'd be fantastic to be a weatherman, because weatherman, you can be 80% wrong all of the time and still keep your job. It's a wonderful job. It's a wonderful career. You don't know what's brewing outside there. You don't know what the forecast is for your life. You don't know any more what the forecast is this afternoon than you do what's coming in 10 years. So my encouragement to you, friends, is because life is so uncertain, put Jesus underneath your feet. Stand upon the rock so you will have stability in your life, in your family, in your children, in your marriage, in your home, in your career. Wherever you move to, you can have stability in your life. The second thing James says, and let's look at verse 14. He asks this question. It's a real philosophical question. He says, what is your life? Hmm. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. In the Bible, you see so often this allegory of following God is like taking a walk with him. When we say, hey, follow, you know, we talk about Jesus. Hey, come follow me. What they do, they started walking with him. They started walking along with him. It's like going on a journey with God, huh? And during this communication with God usually focuses on this main part of the conversation. Here's what we do is we're walking with the Lord. God, what's next? What's your plans for my life, Lord? Should I marry her? Yeah. Shake your head, shake a tree, shake anything. Just show me yes or no. Should we have kids now, Lord? Should I take this job? Should we move? Should I buy this house? Should I not buy this house? Is this a good major? Is this going to give me a job? And our conversation with the Lord constantly is about, Lord, what's next? Can you give me a little insight? Can you tell me what to do? Can you tell me how to how I should think about this? Can you tell me what I should what I should say? And, and the Bible is so beautiful because what happens in the Bible is we have what's called wisdom literature. 
in the wisdom literature, what that does is, is wisdom literature is a biblical genre that answers the question of usually what's next in your life. When you go to the Song of Solomon, written by Solomon, the book of songs, you find a whole lot of information about how and what you should do as far as next step when it comes to love. When you go to the book of Job, let me tell you, if you're suffering, that's a great resource for you to find out what's next in the middle of your suffering. When you go to the Psalms, man, you can bury yourself in this wisdom of how to deal with life's ups and downs. And there's another book called the book of Ecclesiastes. And you know what the great focus of Ecclesiastes is on? It's on what is life? What is the meaning of life? Isn't that the question that James asked? What is your life? James is the New Testament Ecclesiastes. He asked the question, what is your life? And if you'll look at the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see that over 28 chapters, 38 times there is a Hebrew word that is repeated over and over and over. It's the Hebrew word chabel. Over and over, you hear this word chabel. Now, trying to pin the definition of chabel down is like, it's, it, it's, trying to, it's like trying to nail down a butterfly. It's tough. But it's usually translated as meaningless or valueless or pointless or empty, vanity. Solomon concludes this. Solomon says this in this wisdom book when he was asked, what is life? And Solomon says this, life can be meaningless. You can live, everybody in this room has the opportunity to live a pointless, meaningless life. You can just exist. You can just breathe God's air and walk on God's dirt and your life can be absolutely pointless. It can be like going on a wild goose chase without a goose. You just have no point in your life. But, Solomon says, it doesn't have to be. That's the great part. Your life doesn't have to be meaningless. Because he says, if you love God and you keep his commandments, you love your neighbor, it can be very meaningful. Your life can be very fruitful. It can be very fulfilling. And it's also interesting that this Hebrew word, chabel, is also translated as mist or vapor. That's exactly the point that James is making here in James chapter 4. James says, look, your, your life is like a vapor. You know, we live in Texas, so today it'll be 80, but last week it was 40. And so you could walk out on your front porch, and I usually do this. I walk out on my front porch, and, whew, and you'll see your, ve- your breath kind of vaporize, but it only lasts about that long. It's very brief. And that's the point that James makes in James 4.14. He says, look, life is not just uncertain, but life is also brief. That's a sobering thought for us. Because the older you get, the faster it seems that your breath is vanishing. Can I tell everybody under the age of 30? Listen. You're not going to live forever 
because I thought that too. When I was 16 years old, brevity of life had no hold on me. I was living life to the max. But the older I got and the more I understood God's Word, the more I realized life happens and it happens fast. It's a vapor, James says. It comes, you see it, and it's gone. My wife constantly tells young families, these young moms that we see all around the church, and they've got these kids, and we see them trying to check them in over there, and they're just, you know, they're just like, Dear God, please, just go, go. Shannon will catch them, and she'll grab them by the arm, and she'll say, listen, the days are long, but the years are short. Enjoy them. Enjoy them. Because life is a vapor. Life happens so fast. You're here and then you're gone. And the sad thing is, is that we often think in terms of tomorrow. But let me tell you, friends, your life is so brief, it could not even, may not even include a tomorrow. Don't say, well, tomorrow I'm going to forgive my spouse. Or tomorrow I'll say I love you to my kids or to my parents or whoever. Don't say, well, tomorrow, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out to eat with them. I'm going to go visit grandma. Don't wait for tomorrow because you're not guaranteed tomorrow. James says, your, your life, what is life? It's just a vapor. It's passing. It's ending. It, it comes to an end. I want you to remember this. Life isn't just uncertain, but it is very brief. And you don't know what, what you, you may not know what tomorrow holds, nor do you know if tomorrow will even come. Garth Brooks was on to something when he wrote that. So don't get too busy getting ready for tomorrow that you forget about living your life today. Don't forget about, forget about tomorrow and what you've got to take care of. Be in this moment right here when you hear this preacher telling you that life is short. Don't think about the plans that you have that you've made this week. Listen to this preacher as I tell you that God could call for your number today. Be sobered by the fact that there will, there will become a, a, come a day when you will be not. And so taking consideration the decisions that need to be made while you are here in this moment, not tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, student. You're not guaranteed tomorrow, business person. You know, you can't take your money to heaven, but you can take your memories. Bible says we will know as we have known. I've told my children, and I've expressed to them, Shannon and I both have, we are going to be there for you until we're not. I preach this message more of a pastoral way because I want you to understand how Life can pass so quickly. So don't just spend your lives. And for God's sake, don't waste your lives. Instead, invest your life. Invest your life. <laughs> One of the guys we took on our trip yesterday, it was his birthday. Going down and working in a nasty old dirty building. Busting walls, dirt everywhere, in the hood. 
He invested his time. He said, you know, I'd rather be here celebrating my birthday than anywhere else. That's an investment. He wasn't just spending a day. He was investing a day. So life is uncertain. Life is brief. And thirdly, look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and we will do this or that. James says, not only is life uncertain and brief, but God is sovereign. In a world with so much uncertainty and unpredictability and brevity, it's good to know that there's a God who sits above it all and He is sovereign, that He's in control. You look at the world today and you say, man, it seems to be spinning out of control. Oh, no, 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 no. God knows exactly what's going on. He's still in control. He's sovereign. He's in charge. And here's the great part. The God that's in charge is a God that's good. And for you as a believer, if you know Him, all things are working for your good. All things work to your good. Oh, but man, you haven't experienced my life lately. You haven't seen what happened in my life. Oh, but all things are working for your good. Oh, but yeah, but my kid and, and my granddaughters and blah, blah, blah. Oh, but all things are working for your good. Oh, but yeah, but the job that I've got, you know, it's petering out. I'm losing my... Oh, but all things are working for your good. Oh, yes, yes. Life happens, but God is working for your good. And He's sovereign. He's in control. James says, look, you ought to just say, Lord willing. Not a cliche. Not a cliche. But to say that as a conviction with a statement, that's my attitude. God, if this is your will, let it be done. A lot of people understand God's will as a cold, impersonal machine. That God gets this machine started, and then we have to make sure that we maintain that machine and keep it running. And if we make a mistake and the machine dies and it quits, then we're out of luck and God just walks off. Some of you, you feel like you're on plan B of your life. Or C or D. You've seen relationships end that you hoped wouldn't. You've seen families dissolve that you hoped wouldn't. You've seen your livelihood Go in the opposite direction that you hope wouldn't. You've lost loved ones. You've lost spouse. You're on plan who knows what. And you're saying, God, now what do I do? Did you walk off the job? Here's what I want you to see. God's will is not like this cold, impersonal machine. God's will is like a warm body. There are times when you get hurt. Maybe you twist an ankle or you twist a knee or something happens and you get hurt. And what happens is you feel the pain of the moment. And you're a little incapacitated at the moment. But just a twisted ankle or a twisted knee does not cause you to die. You don't call the funeral home if you break an a, 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 a finger. What do you do? You bandage it. You hold it. Your other fingers, your other, your other leg, they compensate in the meantime until you can get that healthy back going again. And you say, okay, all right, I'm getting better. And that's the way God's will is in our life. 
There are moments when, when God's will seems it's, it's pain. We're trying to do what we know to do and things don't work out right. They don't work out the way we planned them. But God says, look, you call on me. I'll resolve this. I'll bandage this up. I'll help you. I'm not going anywhere. I'm going to stay right here and we're going to get through this together. God's will is warm and he wants us to understand his will. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 17 says, Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. That word understands is important because we can know God's will, but not understand God's will. And that requires spiritual wisdom. Let me just give you an understanding. The difference between knowing God's will and understanding God's will is the difference between knowing what God's will is and why. As friends of Jesus Christ, we have the privilege of understanding God's will. Listen to James 15, 15. Jesus says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, look what he says. I have called you friends for everyone that I, for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. He gives us not just the what to do, but the why to do it. God is sovereign. And you can know His will. And finally, I close with this. Daniel, if you get ready to come. Verse 16 says, As it is, you boast and brag about such boasting, about all such boasting is evil. Anyone who, then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it since. God's against presumption. And all he wants us to do is to live a life of humility to his sovereignty and an urgency to do what he wants us to do. It's kind of compared to like when you guys go to the buffet. How many of you enjoy going to buffets? I saw no hands. They're like, I'm not going to admit that, Pastor. Me, me, pray for me. When you go to the buffet, where's the first place you head? You don't just head to the buffet line. I mean, you, the first place you go is you got to go to the plate. Right. You go find a plate. You look at that plate and you say, Lord... Thank you for what is about to be on this plate. That plate, here's what I want you to see, is your life. That plate is what God has given you that you can fill up. You can fill that plate. You could start at the dessert table if you wanted to. Oh, bless the Lord for chocolate cake. Bless the Lord for little ice cream. Ha! Thank you, Jesus. Or you could start like some of you people. Salad. 
Haven't you learned anything? When you go to the buffet, don't start with the fillers. That's just filler. That's to keep you from all the protein and the barbecue and the greasy chicken. You're eating that salad. God help you. You got this plate and you can put anything you want on your plate. And so what you need to do is you need to say, Lord, remember, because we pray before we eat, right? Lord, would you show me what to put on my plate? And that's your life. Your Jesus may be low calorie, but mine's not. My Jesus says two helpings of mashed potatoes. You say, God, what do you want to put on my plate? And here's the key. Here's the key. You put on what he wants. You take on into your life what he desires. Well, how do you know what that is? Well, his word tells you. It gives you a really good head start. I see so many people, the problem in their life is they take on too much. And they're needing like two or three plates or they're needing sidewalls on their plate. They're like, hey, do you have to-go box? It's got like walls that I can load up. And you take off and what happens? You get so frustrated with life. You're just like, oh, I'm a taxi to my kids. I'm working eight hours a day. I've got to go to church. We got sisterhood on Friday. We got all this thing going on. I'm trying to volunteer. We got light the night. We got all these things. Church preachers preaching an extra hour. What are you doing? You're adding more on your plate than what God has ever intended for you to put on your plate. God's will can be known. And so in humility, you say, Lord, would you just show me? Teach me. And you don't just go sit down at your table with an empty plate. Lord, would you just put something on my plate? Would you float that chicken leg from that bar, Lord, right over here? Just slap it down. Oh, Jesus, thank you. And I'll praise you for it, Lord. No, no, no. You have to actually go up there. And guess what? When you get them tongs and you stick those tongs into them chicken legs, you get to pick which chicken leg. That one don't look, that's been sitting there for days. Get this juicy, greasy. Put that down. You see, there's a measure of what God shows you to put on your plate and what you feel and what you know and the Holy Spirit kind of directs you. And then there's also the part where you have to do it. You have to go be a participant in what God wants in your life. Let me tell you, the people that say, Pastor, can you help me to know what God's will in your life? Those are the people that I know who have never stepped out in faith and said, God, maybe is it this? What about... Can I, what about this, Lord? It's lining up with your word. Am I here? Is this, is this okay? And God begins to show us. And you know what? When we take our plate down, we've got the right things and we set it down and we eat, we become satisfied. And that's how you know that God's will is done in your life is because you become satisfied. You're just like, oh, thank God. I've learned to be content with just one chicken leg and one big scoop of salad. Praise God. Some of you are content with that. Praise the Lord. He's given you that contentment because that's his will for your life. Don't, don't, don't despise those 
who come back instead of salad and they've got baked potatoes and ham and all that. Don't despise those. Allow God to speak to their life. And we must do this with urgency. Let me read a passage of Scripture and I'll close with this. Luke chapter 12 says this. He told this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns. I'll build bigger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I'll say to myself, man, I have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what all you have prepared for yourself? Notice this. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. I think that's what James really wants to communicate to us. You boast about tomorrow. You say, I'm going to go there and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make this and I'm going to have this business. I'm going to make this money. I'm going to live my life. I'm going to eat, drink, be merry. I'm going to, I'm going to do all these things. Hey, look at me. I'm going to post it all on Facebook so everybody wants to be me. When James is saying, look, really the point is of life, be rich toward God. Be rich toward God. Would you bow your heads all, all across this room this morning? If you've made plans in your life that don't include being rich toward God, can I just guarantee you that those plans are going to fail? And you will find an unsatisfied life. You may live longer, you may live short, but I'll promise you that it will not be satisfied because if your plans lie outside God's plans, you can never satisfy. You must be rich toward God. It wasn't by accident that some of you showed up to church today because some of you have been trying to make plans for your life and you're right now wrestling. You're, you're like, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to move. I don't know how I should handle this. Can I just tell you, if you will do as Matthew 6.33 says, which you would seek him first. Seek him first. And then he said all these other things, they'll be decided. They'll come to you. Seek him first. Now, if you're here this morning, you say, well... I don't even know how to seek him. Maybe you don't know Jesus. See, that's the building block of everything. If you don't know the if your foundation is no good, you can't build anything. And the only way to build your life is to build upon the rock, as, as I read earlier. And you need to know Jesus. And I would like to invite you today to make the greatest decision of your life. If you want to make a great plan for your life, don't just plan for your life on earth and this passing brief moment that we call life. But why don't you make plans for eternity? Because one of these days, somebody's going to throw dirt in your face. And you'll be six feet down. And, and, and friends, that's not when it's over. You have an eternity. And if you want to know where eternity, you're going to spend eternity, you have to make plans now to be rich toward God. You have to be, you have to be forgiven. You have to be called a disciple. You have to repent, turn your life toward him and let him become the savior and order of your life. And if you're here this morning, you say, you know what, Scott, I'd like to do that today. I want to start my life today. Just like you're going to see in just a moment, these that are baptized, they've, they've started a life following Jesus. 
you're here this morning, you say, would you pray with me? I would like to receive Jesus today. And I would like to build my life on that foundation because I know he, he won't ever fail me. If you're here today with everybody's heads bowed and everybody's eyes, nobody's really looking around. Would you just raise your hand? Yeah, I see your hand all the way in the back. Yes, sir, I see your hand. Anybody else? Yeah, I see your hand, young man. I see your hand. Anybody else? This is great. This is great. There's people who are who are saying, you know what? It's time. It's time. Anybody else? It's time. It's time. I want to know Jesus. I want to put him first. I want to make him the foundation of my life. Anybody else? Yes, ma'am. I see you. I see you. Yes. Yeah, in the back. I see you. I see you. In just a moment, I'm going to have everybody stand. I'm going to pray a prayer. And here's what I want you to do. If you raised your hand, you're going to say in your own words and from your own heart, you're going to say this, Lord, I'm wrong. The Bible calls that just being a sinner. I have broken not only God's commands, but I have broken God's heart. You've broken God's heart. You've done life your way. What you're going to do today is you're going to say, Lord, I'm not doing my life my way anymore. Forgive me for trying to do it. Forgive me for everything that I've ever done. And give me new life. Come into my heart. I'm turning my life to you. I repent. I come to you. And when you pray that prayer from your heart and you mean it, something is going to change in you. You're going to feel the ground beneath your feet starting to get solid and you're going to be able to make those decisions because the Holy Spirit is going to come and He's going to help you. He's going to show you what you need to do from this day forward. And we're going to pray that prayer and I want you to pray in the heart and then here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I want you to do this. After we baptize everybody, I want you to meet me at the front and I want you to say, hey, I prayed that prayer today. And I want to just meet you. That's all, that's all I'm asking. I want to meet you. If you raise your hand and you pray that prayer with me today. pray this prayer. Everybody in the room, if you didn't raise your hand, I want you praying for these four people who raised their hands today. So saints of God, would you just begin to pray right now? And those of you who raised your hands, pray that prayer that I told you. Father, I thank you, Lord, today that, Lord, that your word has gone forth. Lord, your, your word does not return void. It always, always changes us, Lord, from what we were into something, that, Lord, that you make us. Today, Lord, there has been four individuals who raised their hands today, Lord, that said, Lord, I need, to, I need you in my life. I need to make you the foundation. I need to make you the beginning of my life. And right now, Lord, they are, they are confessing, Lord, that they have broken your heart. So Jesus, I pray that you would hear their prayer from their, from their seat right there, that you would hear their cry of their heart. And that, Lord Jesus, you would do as your word says, that if we would confess our sins, that you are faithful and you are just and you will forgive us our sins and you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord Jesus, you're starting them all over again. Lord, you're building a brand new life right now. And the work of the Holy Spirit is happening right now in their life. Lord, they're going to leave their past behind. They're going to leave their sin. They're going to leave their failures. They're going to leave everything behind today because you, Lord, are changing their direction. Lord, I pray that you come in as they pray that prayer, Lord, as they say, Lord Jesus, would you be my Lord and would you be my Savior? They've made a decision. They're locked in that, Lord, from today on, that they're not just forgiven, but they're free to follow you. So, Lord Jesus, I thank you for reaching out to hearts today. 
If you prayed that prayer, you were one of those four who raised your hands after church, please meet me at the front. I'm going to be standing right here. Just come talk to me. On that, I want to just do this. I want to celebrate what Jesus has done. Can we just give the God praise for these folks that have responded? Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Welcome to the family of God. Amen. Welcome. Welcome. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.